Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday School Hour for February the 19th, 2023. And we are still in the book of Haggai. We're going rapidly to the end. And of course, you can do that when it's a short book, can't you? And we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 2, 15 through 19. And I've entitled this lesson, A Portrait of Us All. You know, um, sometimes you see a picture of yourself and uh, I don't know, maybe you see if you're like I am, uh, you see a picture of yourself and you go, gee, who's that old guy in there? And then, oh, wait a minute, that's me. Because we don't always see ourselves the way we look to other people or the way we actually appear. Or it can go the other way as well. You can get a picture of yourself when you were a baby or, or younger, and you have to look real close to figure out uh, who it is, unless you have family members that were around then to ask it. Because I think we see ourselves differently than we really are most of the time. Uh, when we're younger, we see ourselves as, as older, you know, and I don't know why I can't drive. I'm just as good as they are. And like you're, you look back now and you realize how immature you were. And I think sometimes as we get older, we see ourselves still maybe a few years younger or maybe a lot of years younger. And, um, you know, then you try to get up out of the chair and find out that you can't so well. Or you hear things, you know, the snap, crackle and pop of all that kind of stuff. Uh, all of those reminders that are, are reality. Now, the same thing is true when it comes to our spiritual life. We forget sometimes the things that we struggle with. I mean, we can kind of make ourselves look pretty good and feel pretty good about ourselves. Or we may go the other way. There are some people that because of some things they've been through and things that they've done, it's hard for them to really accept the cleansing that they have in Jesus Christ and to know that when Christ died on the cross, He paid for all of their sins, past, present, and future. The penalty is gone at justification. And to know that on the record books, as far as God is concerned, they are as righteous as Jesus Christ because they've been given the righteousness of Christ. Boy, that's hard to wrap your mind around that. And some people can never really get over some of the things that they've done and they see themselves more in a bad light and um, other people see themselves in too good of a light. The book of Proverbs says every man proclaims his own goodness. Man, are we ever good at that. And we can compare ourselves to other people and you can, you know, unless you're a Ted Bundy or something like that, you can always find somebody who's worse and you can look and say, well, you know, at least I didn't do what they did. And uh, so the Bible is kind of a reality check for us. And that's why um, I believe it's in the book of James. It talks about uh, a man who looks at himself in a mirror and then walks away forgetting what manner of man that he was. And so, uh, you know, you look in the mirror, you got smudges on your face, your hair is all messed up and uh, that kind of thing. And then you walk away, you can forget about it because the mirror is not telling you that there are some problems. Well, the Bible is a mirror for us. And the Bible tells us things about ourselves that we don't always want to know or want to hear. And yet we desperately need to. I mean, um, somebody said that the, uh, the law of God, for example, when you look at the commandments, 
There's nothing they can do to save you because you can't keep them well enough to get saved. The commandments don't clean you up. The commandments expose where the dirt is. Okay? And they said uh, trying to get right with God by keeping the commandments or the Sermon on the Mount or whatever you want to do would be like going to the mirror, seeing that your face is dirty, and then trying to wash your face with the mirror. See, the mirror reveals, but something else has to cleanse us. And the same thing is true. The law of God can reveal where we fall short of the glory of God, but only the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, can cleanse us from our unrighteousness. So we need to uh, see this and think about this in the introduction. Sometimes as believers, we forget where the Lord found us. You know, it, it feels sometimes like I was a, a good guy and I was trying to do the right thing and then I stumbled across the Lord and the, the plan of salvation and I trusted it because I wanted to be saved. And yet when I read in the Bible, in Romans 3, for example, quoting out of Psalms, that no one seeks after God, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Well, then I have to readjust things. It may have felt like or seemed like I was doing that. But the truth of the matter is, I wasn't seeking God. He was seeking me and I was being drawn to him. But that wasn't really the way I saw it or the way that I felt it or the way that I realized it was happening. But the word of God is always true. And the Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sins. I didn't really feel dead. I wouldn't have considered myself before I was saved to have been dead. But Remember, that's why Paul said you were dead in trespasses and sins. I was alive to the sin. I was alive to all of that, but dead in them toward God. Well, it didn't feel that way, but yet the Bible always tells us the truth. We forget where the Lord found us. Secondly, we tend to become proud of our decisions and our action and our wisdom. You know, it's easy once you get saved, once you start learning biblical principles and the ways of the Lord. That's why the psalmist said, teach me your ways. He already knew the Lord, but he needed to learn the ways of God. And when you start learning those things and you learn how to act and you learn how to live, you learn how to, you know, handle your finances, you learn about relationships, you learn about all of these kind of things. Well, it's easy to kind of get a little bit smug and a little bit proud. And we look at other people and we say, you know, why can't you just get your act together? And why can't you make better decisions? You ever done anything like that? Well, confession time, I have. And we get a little bit proud and say, well, I guess I just have always made the right decisions and that's why the Lord is blessing me. Man, the Lord can slap you down from that in a hurry, can't he? Because we forget sometimes that the only good in me and the only good in you is Jesus. And the only reason we know how to make a good decision is because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives within us and the wisdom that is provided by God. Or we would be just like or worse than everybody else. The third thing that happens is uh, we boast in our accomplishments as if we really had anything to do with it. And we forget that everything goes back to the Lord. 
Psalm 94 verse 4 says, They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. And Paul said, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord in 2 Corinthians 10, 17. So we're going to use all of that to say apparently this remnant, as we said last week, was starting to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think and forgetting that without the Lord they could do nothing. I want to call your attention to what Jesus said when he talked about the flesh. The flesh profits nothing, he said. It doesn't profit a little bit, it profits nothing. And we forget that. And he even said, apart from me, ye can do nothing. I'm King James today for some reason, aren't I? Uh, that's what old people do. We lapse back. And uh, so this, this is the kind of thing that we have to remember. Are there good works in your life? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure there are. Are there things that you have accomplished that are things that other people would see and go, good job, wow, that is great. I'm sure there are. And there ought to be because the Bible says we are to let our light shine before men so that others see our good works and then glorify our Father which is in heaven. That last part kind of gets left off. We forget that it's really all about the Lord. So we're going to talk about that. And as we look at this portrait of ourselves, we're going to get the picture of it. And think about this. First word that we uh, consider is the word unaware in verse 15. So what was going on in the life of these people in the remnant for 16 years? Nothing except self-service, right? They were able to build their own houses, but they neglected the temple and they got used to it and it didn't bother them. I want to tell you something. Whenever you're sinning against God and your conscience doesn't bother you and it doesn't seem like there's any conviction, don't say, whew, that's nice. I guess I'm okay with this. That's when you ought to be worried because there's something wrong with you if you're not experiencing the conviction and discipline of the Lord. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, that is a sign of someone who's not really saved. That ought to bother you. And whenever you are convicted of it, that's a good thing. Well, these people had not been convicted, but they were. And I'm not going to say that every time you sin, immediately the conviction comes upon you because, well, sin brings pleasure for a season, the Bible says, right? And so there's a certain amount of time you may be enjoying it, but eventually it's going to, uh, well, you're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this is their time. And God was kind and gracious. He gave them those 16 years. And now he's saying enough is enough. Now, how was life described for them? Now, you'd think this would get their attention. If we go back to Haggai 1, verses 3 through 7, and we uh, think about what the Lord said. You, you work real hard, but you don't have anything to show for it. You gather your wages, but you put it in a bag with holes. And you remember all of that? And um, that should have gotten their attention. Lord, what are you teaching us here? What, what is the issue here that we need to deal with? And um, what did the people do in response to this very real and obvious situation? And here's the thing, nothing, nothing. They just made it by 
and hope for better days. But you know, the uh, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Isn't that what they were doing? This is crazy for the people of God. It's crazy for us as well. God wants to bless us, and He's made a pathway of blessing, but we, uh, well, I guess we just get used to life the way that it is, and uh, we can be so much more fruitful. In John 15, Jesus said, Herein is the Father glorified that you bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain. But, you know, we get used to the meager fruitfulness, and we don't see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And we just kind of, you know, that's just the way it is. We get used to it and we continue on that way. Well, that's what they had done. And so God says, uh, enough, and he intervenes. And they would have continued on until judgment day, except for the intervention of God. And so that's why discipline from the Lord is actually, according to Hebrews 12, a sign of his love. He is active in our life. He doesn't let us continue on doing the same old thing in the same old way with the same old results. He's working on us and he's changing us. And that is um, annoying and it is uh, disruptive to our lives. Sometimes it is painful. Uh, the book of Hebrews again says that it is grievous, but it says afterward it yields the fruit of righteousness, a harvest of righteousness. So that's why God does it. Number two, think about this. Would this word describe the people of God in, uh, in, in, the, in the days of the remnant? How about this? Stubborn, just like us. Stubborn in verses 16 and 17, we find it. And everything was 50 to 60% less than expected. The Bible, uh, the Lord says in there, I struck you. This wasn't just um, to quote Curly on the Three Stooges, I'm a victim of circumstances. Remember that? And these people might have just thought, well, you know, if it would rain, things would be different. And, um, you know, if the weather was a little bit different, if that late breeze hadn't come. And they never put two and two together that the sovereign God in control of the weather was the one who was causing this to happen. So he clears it up. It's not the devil. He said, I struck you, Right. And so for at least 16 years. And so these things, of course, were to be expected. All you have to do is read in Deuteronomy 28, 22, The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat, and with drought, and with blight, and with mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. Okay? That was a result of them turning away from the ways of God and the laws of God. Now, some of those things that you uh, read about in there, uh, we look at them as just, well, they're just a natural part of life. But God was saying, I'm going to use the natural parts of life and even the hard things that come to get your attention and to draw you to me. But their response, and the verse finishes up, you did not return to me. And so uh, there we find ourselves unaware of things. That's the way you were before you were saved. That's the way you are many times as an immature child of God after you're saved. And then we find ourselves stubborn. We try to continue on, continue on, continue on. I'm going to do what I want to do. Thirdly, 
there is something that happens. They were changed in verses 18 and 19. Now, that's one of the characteristics of someone who is a child of God. You cannot continue on and live the way that you are in any way that you please and be a Christian. Now, Arminian believers, uh, one of the five points of Arminianism is that you have a free will, and that means you can enter in anytime you want, and you can walk out anytime you want. And that, by the way, is what free will Baptists believe. That's why they have that in their name. And uh, yet we look at things differently because Jesus said he would never leave us or forsake us, for one thing. He said that uh, my sheep hear my voice and I give them eternal life and, uh, and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And so, you know, verses like that, and there are a ton of others, tell us that if a believer ever loses his salvation and goes to hell, well, let's just put it this way, Jesus Christ is going to have to go with them because when we are saved, we're placed in Christ and Christ is in us and that is an inse uh, inseparable thing. We are unified with him. How do we get out of Christ? How does he get out of us? And all of the promises of God about that still um, be intact. And so um, this is the thing that we understand. God never leaves us. And no matter how far we stray, he's the one who is not just coming after us, but he's actually with us in that situation. Now, one of the things that just really strikes me hard is when Paul talked to the Corinthian believers and he talked to them about their bodies being the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That's why I don't call this building that I'm recording in, I don't call this the sanctuary because it's not, it's just a building. This church property and all of that is not holy ground in and of itself. It's just a piece of property and it's just a building. You are the holy ground and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, where's the sanctuary of God? It is in you. It's in you. You are that sanctuary. And so anywhere you go and anything you do, God is with you and he's always with you. And here's how extreme it gets. Paul said, if you join yourself to a prostitute, now you know what that means. You're joining Christ to that prostitute. Not saying that the prostitute gets saved, but saying there how horrific it is to think that you would take Christ to that low level. And so uh, the child of God always has the presence of Christ and the presence of Christ always has the power of Christ. He never has his presence and says, oh, I forgot my power, forgot to bring that today. The power is always there. And this Christ who never changes, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, he hates sin, even your sin, just as much as he hated the sins of the ancient Israelites. Now, can you imagine God in you hating your sin, and you're continuing stubbornly in your sin, and he's not going to do anything about it? We talk a lot about uh, election. Let me just throw this out. Those he chooses, he changes. 
And that's what happens in us. I don't know how long he's going to take to do it, but he's going to do it. And uh, so this is what happens to these people that by God's grace, they finally understood and they submitted to his will. Well, isn't that your story? You were unaware of your sin, unaware of the anger of God against you because Psalm 711 says he's angry with sinners every day. And you were unaware of hell. You were unaware of all of that. You thought, oh, I'm good enough and everything will be okay until the Holy Spirit convinced you otherwise, right? And then I'm going to say that for most of you, maybe not everybody, maybe some of you are like the Apostle Paul, but for some of us, when that awareness comes, we try our best to continue on in the way we've been going. We're stubborn in all of that until the Holy Spirit changes us and draws us to Christ. In the book of um, Hosea, I believe it is, the Lord says to Israel, I drew you with cords of love. And that's what he does to us whenever he brings us to salvation, drawing us with cords of love. But until then, and if he didn't do that, we would stubbornly continue in our sin until the time when we are changed by the Lord, by God's grace, we understand and we submit to his will, just like these people did. And there was a definite change in them and uh, their relationship with God. In fact, it actually says in here, from this day forward. Did you see that? From this day forward. Now, I'm a big believer that uh, we need turning points definite times of definite change in our life if we're ever going to get anywhere. Uh, an example of that would be a person who says, you know, uh, man, I really need to lose some weight. I think I'm going to work on that this year. Uh, they will probably weigh more at the end of the year than they do now. Have you ever seen anything like that? Maybe that's you that I'm talking about. We've all done those kind of things and we've seen those kind of things. Think about an alcoholic or a drug addict. Whenever they say, well, I know I really shouldn't be doing this, well, you can count on the fact that they can go through rehab as many times as they want to, but they're not really going to change. They're going to just relapse, relapse, relapse. But if you talk to people who have actually lost a lot of weight, talk to somebody who has lost 50, 60 or more pounds and they've kept it off for five years, talk to them about their situation. You know what you'll find? They were at the doctor's office and the doctor said something like this. I'm telling you now, if you want to see your grandchildren, you've got to make some changes and it hit them like a ton of bricks. If you don't make some changes in your life now, you'll be dead within a year. And they, it hits them like a ton of bricks and they can tell you. What happened? What changed in your life? I was in my doctor's office. It was in May of 1996, and the doctor told me, and they'll tell you that. When you talk to an alcoholic or drug addict that has been sober for uh, multiple years, and you say, boy, what happened? And they'll tell you. I was in this situation. I was in a gutter. I woke up in my own vomit, and it was at that point where I said, enough of this, right? or I was in an AA meeting and then something we were studying or something that somebody said hit me like a ton of bricks and then they'll tell you about it. In other words, what I mean by this is whenever serious change takes place in our lives as humans, there's a specific time and place where it hit us and we have 
a pivot point, a turning point. No more of this. I'm heading this direction. Now, I'm not exactly sure of the date of my salvation. I've got it written down in my office. I can look it up, but I never can remember. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that you have to remember the date and the time and the, all of that when you were saved. But I've never met anyone who was truly born again that could not tell you what the gospel said, how it impacted their lives, and the change that it made in them. And so I ask you, has the gospel made a change in your life? So many people want to say, well, I'm a Christian. Uh, I heard somebody say, somebody with a foul, foul, foul mouth the other day say, in, in the midst of all of that, a lot of cussing before and after, but I'm a proud Christian. And you, you want to, really? Really? Or are you just one of those who prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, did something like that, but you never were changed? The Bible teaches us that we've got to repent, we've got to believe, we've got to repent, and we've got to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to say that can happen to me, but it didn't really change me, it's kind of like um, if I came into church on Sunday morning and I've got my suit and tie on and Sammy's pressed everything and it coordinates and it's all put together and shoes are shined and all of that, and then I try to convince you that I was just hit by a Mack truck. No, if you get hit by a Mack truck, you're going to be changed and you're going to look like you're hit by a Mack truck. And furthermore, if you come in contact with the sovereign God of the universe and you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be changed. And that's what happened to these people. They were changed by the Lord because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. And he is continuing to change you and continuing to change me because I go through this process that these people were going through over and over and over again. I don't mean I get saved over and over and over again, but I go through these things with the Lord over and over again. I'm unaware of sin. The Lord makes me aware. I defend myself and I'm stubborn in it. And then the Lord always wins, doesn't he? And he changes my life. And then from this day forward, things change. And there's an expectation then of fruitfulness and harvest. No more to be like it was. It's going to be different. But it's not right away. Did you notice in there they still had, he said, is there not seed in the barn? You know what that means? Well, it may not have been time for planting yet. It might have been like, I don't know, December or January, and they had the seed for next year's crop in the barn, but it's not in the ground. What does that tell us? Well, it's going to be a while before they reap the harvest. The season has to change. The seed has to be planted. Then it has to grow, and then it has to bear fruit, and then the harvest comes. And so you may make a commitment to the Lord today. You may repent of a sin today. You may change your actions today, but you probably are not going to see the fruit of it by 5 o'clock this afternoon. It may take a while for that to happen, depending on the time or the season. So they still had to wait for the crops to grow. And God promises that things are going to be different. Uh, these are crops necessary for their survival but it's going to be in time. And we just don't like to wait on the Lord, yet the scripture tells us, wait on the Lord, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Number four, last point. In verse 19, the last part of it, it says that uh, we are blessed. So here's the deal. Unaware, stubborn, and then change because the Lord wins out. And then we are blessed. You know, uh, if you really will look back at your life, there have been times the Lord has dealt with you severely. But now, as time has gone by, aren't you glad? Aren't you a lot happier and better off? Isn't your life better? Aren't you more fruitful than that? Well, that's what they're going to experience. They go from being unaware. What's wrong? What could possibly be a problem? Yeah, see the uh, temple foundation down there? Yeah, it's been down there for a long time. We'll get to it someday. And then they go through the stubbornness. We're going to continue to do what we're going to do. And then the Lord convinces them. He changes their mind. He's got ways of doing that, by the way. And now they come into the phase where they're going to be blessed. It's always going to result in that. And so you notice that they had the power of God to do this. God didn't just simply say, do it in the best way that you can. No, he said, I'll be with you. I will empower you. My spirit will do it. Just like he told Zerubbabel and Zechariah, not by, my, not by power, but by my spirit, this mountain shall be removed. He always supplies the power to do what he wants us to do. And they were able to do what had not been uh, humanly possible in this situation. That's what God wants to do. Things in our lives that can only be explained by Him. Not just, oh, you've got talent or you had a lot of luck in your life or you had a good upbringing. God wants to do things in our lives that give Him the glory and show us what He has done because He indeed is the one who did it. And fruitfulness is certainly the mark of blessing. Um, some scriptures in here, John 15, 1. John 15, 5, John 15, 8, Ephesians 1, verse 3, and Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Now in John 15, uh, the Father is glorified that we bear much fruit. That's His will. That's His calling for us. And unfortunately, there are a lot of believers who, well, every believer bears fruit. It's our identity marker. But boy, there are some believers you have to Go through the leaves and look and then, oh, well, there's a dried, shriveled up grape there. Well, at least you know that they're saved. But that's not what glorifies the Father. He wants us to bear much fruit and fruit that will remain. And what does that fruit look like? Well, I uh, think that John MacArthur has it right when he says there's action fruit, like winning someone to Christ and giving and, you know, those type of things. And then there is attitude fruit, and that's found in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the works of the flesh are listed in there, and then the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. I can't get all of them, but um, that's the attitude. And what he says is, if you try to produce the action fruit without the attitude fruit, it's all going to be for naught. But if you have the attitude fruit working in your life, then the action fruit will come out. That makes sense, doesn't it? And so as we do that and as we think about it, we see a portrait of our lives. Why are we fruitless? We don't have any excuse for that because we've been blessed already with that. And why have we been blessed? Because the Lord has changed us. And what does He change us from? Being so stubborn that we were going to continue on in our sin. And why were we doing that? Because we were unaware that there was anything wrong with it. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
But then he brings us to that place where we're unaware and then through our stubbornness, he changes us and then brings us to a place of blessing. And he does that over and over again. He's so patient. He's so kind. And my prayer is that before you die, you will bear much fruit for the glory of the Lord that will remain. And hopefully on multiple occasions. So to conclude, everything goes back to God. We didn't create ourselves. We did not choose where we were born. Um, billions, for example, will never hear the gospel. How come you got to? How come you heard it over and over? Why were you raised in church? Why were there people who told you about Jesus? Well, God did that, right? And uh, we could not pay for our sins. Only Jesus could do that. We could not conquer death. We could not give ourselves spiritual life. And when you read Psalm 100, you find in there, not only are we to praise the Lord and make a joyful uh, noise unto Him, but it brings up the fact that we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. We didn't make ourselves. We didn't do anything for ourselves. We are the work of God. And Paul would say, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. So we've got a lot of reasons to praise God, but we forget and we get smug and we get happy and we get self-satisfied. And revival is that time, even in the life of a believer, where instead of being unaware, we become aware. Instead of being stubborn, we are submissive. And then the Lord changes us and we give him praise for that change. And then he blesses us and we realize it's not our work, it's his work. And uh, that is when we really become fruitful for the Lord. So there you go. That's what we want to do. And we want to put on our over overalls and get out our tractors and our plows and uh, get our shovels and all of that, get our seed. And we want to go to work in the Lord's field because we are co-laborers with him. But remember, he's with you and he is the one who actually does the work. And it's an honor that we can participate in him. And that's what changed this remnant's life. And that's what will change our life too. So there you go. I appreciate you listening. Thank you for tuning in, whether you are keeping up with your Sunday school class or uh, we look forward to having you back with us or whether you are a teacher getting ready uh, for Sunday. May the Lord bless you richly and bless your class richly. And we'll look forward to uh, seeing you next week. So again, God bless you.